As you know, since February, we've been talking about, and I, I mentioned to you every so often throughout the year, you'll hear spattered here and there this whole idea of gathering, growing, and going. Um, you can't miss it when you walk in the door. Hopefully it reminds you of, of what we're here for and why we're here as God's people. Um, and I, I just want to take a little bit of time today because we're talking about prayer and just kind of wrap up some thoughts on, on growing because we'll get into the going part in, in, in a short while here in the next couple of weeks. But if we're going to grow, if we're going to have growth in our lives, if we're going to continue growing, then we know fundamentally as Christians, I think... Uh, for those of you who have followed Jesus for a long time, or even a short time, you know that there are at least there are two things that are absolutely essential and necessary. So praise God. So uh, we're, as we grow, we've got to do two things. And they all revolve around one truth, one concept. And it's this. It's that in John chapter 15, a few weeks ago I referenced this, it's all about abiding. You know, being connected to Jesus and staying in Him for us to grow. And primarily it happens two ways you got to read the word of god it's the word of god it starts there everything starts there after the holy spirit touches you and you've been touched by his and and the word probably reached your ears or, or he spoke to you and things changed it was his word his spirit that touched you his living word and things change in our lives were transformed but that's the first step The thing that has to be partnered with and must not be excluded in our lives for our growth is prayer. You can't have one without the other. You've got to have both. You've got to read and you've got to pray. You've got to hear God talking to you as He's already revealed very clearly. And and I think very, very... um, I think many times there's no arguing, no debating. He tells you what He wants, what His will is and what He desires for us. And so we have that here in our scriptures and the scriptures. And so God speaks to us. But in praying, we speak to God, but he also speaks to us. He lets us know what he's thinking, what we're, uh, and then we can tell him what we're thinking, we're experiencing. And he reveals to us and shows us and points us in the right way by his Holy Spirit as he illuminates our mind and he speaks to us so deeply and clearly. Have you had those experiences? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Our scripture this morning is in Colossians chapter 4, and it's just one verse, the first part of verse 2. Verse 2, part A. The Apostle Paul says to the Colossians, four words, devote yourselves to prayer. It's huge. I'll get to that devote thing in a second here because I don't want to get ahead of myself. But devote yourselves to prayer. The language here, Paul is not saying that it's optional. I'll leave it plain and simple. He is saying you must do this as a Christian. It's a command. It's an instruction. Devote yourselves to prayer. And he's saying this as as a reminder, but also as an instruction. And reminding you, remember, do this. Devote yourselves to prayer. And make sure you're committed to it. Somebody said, prayer is is an offering that's rising up and seeking heaven's attention. I'm going to say that again, because I like it. Because really, and there are many definitions, and people have come up with great phrases and and definitions for prayer. And of course, we know that plain and simple, and you can't argue against this because it's the truth, that the most fundamental, simplest definition of prayer is simply this, communicating with God. Listening to and talking to God. 
That's it. That's really plain and simple. But sometimes we come across these deeper, expanded, or, 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 or different ways of expressing what prayer is. And I love that this person said, prayer is an offering rising up and seeking heaven's attention. I am talking to God. I want him to hear me. I want him to give his ear to me. And he does. But it's an offering, and we're making that sacrifice, if you will, of what's on our lips, what's in our hearts, our thoughts, going up to God. And it reminds you of that, that picture in Revelation where, where the prayers of the saints are coming up to God as an incense, right, that's coming up, that bowl of incense, the prayers of the saints. It's this fragrant aroma, this incense coming to God. And I love that it does reach God. Our prayers reach God, whether you feel it or not. All right, hold on a second. Should, we should just stop, pause, and then let's regroup tonight at our prayer gathering, and I'll repeat what I just said, and maybe if we believe that, then we'll actually be able to pray. I'm not ripping you. I'm just, really? There should be like, yes, our prayers are heard by God. I mean, they are. as his children. They are. Every single one of them is heard. Just because you don't get a response the way you want it doesn't mean it didn't hear you. Every prayer is heard that you make to God. Now, one caveat. Obviously, if, your heart is, if you're just full of sin, he wants you first to pray, God, forgive me, I'm wrong. And then you open the doors again. All right? But listen, every prayer is heard by God. He wants you to pray to him. It's, it, and that's why Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Here's a few thoughts on prayer. Prayer is expected. Scripturally, in the Bible, historically, among God's people, prayer is expected. Listen, Jesus himself prayed, not to mention everyone in the Old Testament. The majority of the Psalms are prayers. The vast majority. But Jesus, jumping to the Old New Testament, Jesus himself prayed. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, I love the way the New American Standard says it here. He says, when he's, when he's doing his, he starts his ministry, he's well into his ministry, the crowd's around him, he's busy, he's overwhelmed, he's, he's in the body, right? And he, his thoughts are everywhere, his body's feeling it, he's probably got emotions, he's probably sick and tired of Pharisees already, he's probably sick and tired of whiners, because he's, he's human, his human side, right? He's weary. And it says here in chapter 5 and verse 16 of Luke, but he himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Oh, I love this. I love this. I could get off on it. I love the language here. Because you know what it's like? And I'll make a parallel so you can understand what this looks like. How many of you have gone to a family gathering or a party that you were okay with going to, but you're like, ah, I don't really want to be there. Or maybe you're there for a while, and then things aren't going as you planned, or you realize that your interaction with people isn't, it's not very uh, pleasant. So you find ways to get away. I, I'm sorry. I find ways to get away. None of you do that. You stay until the party's over, even if you're suffering and you don't get along with anyone and you're bored out of your mind or you have nothing in common. You just want to stay the whole time be the last one to leave, right? Yes. We've all done this. But it's a picture of what Jesus was doing among the crowds and in his ministry. And that language depicts that for us. That we're in that situation. It's like, I need relief. I need to just get away and be alone and just, just I, got, I got to escape. 
I got to find a way of escape. And it says here, he slipped away. You know, we got to slip away from that graduation party. I won't do that at your party, Corey. You slip away. and I'm, I'm out of there, you know, because I've had enough. No, he did, but Jesus did this because he was worn out and tired. And the language says exactly that. He needed to find relief. He needed a respite from what he was doing. And he goes and it says, and he went to the wilderness to pray. Now he didn't, he may have, but that doesn't necessarily mean he went into the desert in the middle of it, in the scorching heat, and just sat there and, oh God, I'm so sick and tired of those people and I need relief. And, that, and he's torturing himself in this sun in the desert with nothing. No, the wilderness, he may have gone into a place that was desolate, but that's the point. It could have been in the deep forest where it's, he just wanted to be alone, isolation. God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, We need those in our lives. If Jesus had that, we need that too. In fact, I need it every day. I don't know about you, but we need that. We need to get away and just be me and Jesus. Jesus and the Father, he went to pray. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, further, Jesus expected prayer. And it was something that was already happening among God's people. He was teaching about prayer when he taught about the model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but the model prayer, how we should pray. And he said in verse 5, Verse 6 and verse 7, when you pray, each time, when you pray, it was implied, it was expected, it was something that was a regular life of the Christian, of the follower of Jesus, when you pray. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus shares a parable about a woman who is desperate for justice, and she's not getting it, and she goes to an unjust, unrighteous judge, if you will, unrighteous judge, and she's pleading her case over and over again, and she won't give up until she gets it, and she finally got it. But Jesus starts off this parable about prayer, and Luke records this. He says, at, at, he taught them that at all times, they ought to pray and not lose heart. They should pray when? At all times and not lose heart. They ought to pray at all times and not lose heart. That's the expectation. Jesus' words that we're praying, it's a regular part of our life. The first church exercised this discipline, if you will, spiritually speaking. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and there's four disciplines, if you want to call it that. But there were, it says that the church was devoting themselves to, and I'm just paraphrasing, the word, the apostles' teachings, the word, fellowship, communion, And prayer, prayer. I missed a lot of you last prayer service. I don't want to miss you tonight. Devote yourselves to prayer. Doesn't mean me, myself, and I and God. It means me, myself, and I and others as well. See, Donald Whitney, he wrote wrote a great book on the spiritual disciplines, and he was talking about prayer. And this is what he said. I'm quoting him. He says, if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? Okay, we can all agree. We probably said that. We know that. We've heard that. Prayer is expected of us because we need it. We will not be like Jesus without it. Why then do so many believers confess that they do not pray as they should? Sometimes the problem is primarily a lack of discipline. Prayer is never planned. Time is never allotted for just for praying. While lip service is given to the priority of prayer, 
In reality, it always seems to get crowded out by things more urgent. What else is there? I've said this before, and you can call me extremist. I don't care. Because it's the way of Christ. It is biblical Christianity and discipleship. If you're going to follow me, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, you die. And we can't even devote ourselves to prayer. We can't spend 15, 20 minutes together calling out to God and just pouring our soul out to him and then just hearing from him and pleading. That's what the first church did. That's what the disciples did. That's what the Old Testament people of God did. That's where all God's people around this world, that's what they do and they're consumed and they're devoted to that and they do it a lot. Not scheduling their whole life around and pardon my directness, everything that's sports and entertainment oriented and all the stuff that consumes our energy and don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you to not do any of that. But we're so consumed by that. We have bought into, and you can take this as a prophetic correction, whatever you want. We have bought into in Christianity this lie that it's so important for our kids and us to be involved in so many extracurricular activities that we have so much devotion to those things that we don't even know what prayer is in the first place. You can hate me for it, and that's fine. It's the truth. You want to argue? We'll talk later, and we'll look in Scripture, and we'll look in history. We don't even know what prayer is anymore. I'm sorry, we don't. To see the move of God, not only in your life, not because you're changing God, but God's changing you, and as a result, you are something and someone that God can move through. But we're so consumed. Everything is so urgent and important. We don't care about sitting in church. My God, if we're in church for an hour and a half, oh my goodness, for crying out loud, when is it going to end, Pastor Bob? If you can't do that, you're not going to pray. You're not. I'm sorry, I'm fired up because it's the truth and I will not be silent. When you look around the world right now, and you can prove me wrong all you want, you can try. When you look around the world and you go and you search and you read and you look where revival is happening, where things are shaking, where things are moving, people are praying and they're praying because they're devoted. And when they're devoted, they give up their time. They, they give up their luxuries. They don't care about being entertained all the time. They're not going, and again, I'm being direct, and I'm sorry. Soul Fest is great. Christian concerts are great. That is not a substitute for worship and prayer and getting into God. I'm not telling you not to go to Soul Fest. It's not. But we have done that. We've bought into the lie that we can be comfortable and convenient and whatever suits our and, and, and you know tickles our fancy and whatever and our, our, our imaginations. No, we've got to devote ourselves to prayer. I'd have never expected to go on that tangent anyway. But Prayer is expected, and if we don't do it, nothing's going to happen. Because I assure you that if you're not praying as a devoted Christian, you're probably not reading the Word as a devoted Christian as well. Prayer is learned. It's not just expected, but it's also learned. You learn how to pray. You've got to take in the Word, and you learn how to understand it. You read it more. Then you meditate on it. They go hand in hand. The more you think about it, and it... And it just permeates your thoughts and your heart, then you know how to pray. 
Then you know how to pray and what you ought to pray for. Now listen, the, the idea of learning of how to pray is so, it's again so fundamental. Let me just remind you that just like Preston and Cohen, or if you have children and your children, like you know, when they were two years old, or even one year old, they're two, let's just say two years old, and they want something to eat, what do they do? Wah! Wah! And they're turning red in the face and the tears are going and put something in my mouth. And you know what? There is a parallel because in our spiritual journey, when we're born again, it's like that. And we almost have to, we, we want to be spoon fed, and we are. And like God comes and we cry, and He knows us, He knows our condition, He knows our, where we are maturity wise, and in, in, the, in the progress of the life cycle, of the spiritual like, life. And He comes and we cry, and he, he satisfies us. But if we just stayed there, if that's how Cohen talked to me, like when it's 5 30 every night, He's over there, and He's 12 years old. Okay. You get the picture. Something's not right. Again, it's going back to that growing, and I kind of made that, 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 that picture way back when we started talking about growing. But you've got to actually grow and learn in your praying. You learn God's will, and you learn how to pray, and then you become more, if I could say, effective in your prayers. So how do you learn how to pray? You do it. Thank you. You do it. If you're not devoted, you're not going to do it. You've got to do it. If you don't do it, you won't learn and grow in your prayer life. And you know, one of the ways that you do, yes, you set yourself apart like Jesus did, but Jesus also played in the company of others and with others. And so, like tonight at 6.30, we pray with one another. We pray with others. Because you know what we do when we pray with others? We can learn from other brothers and sisters how we ought to. To pray. I can learn something from somebody who is just a brand new Christian and they pray the most simple, straightforward prayer. And in that moment, I learn, if I could say, or I relearn and am reminded, simplicity really is good. That's all God requires. But then I can hear from somebody else who may have been a Christian for a long time and then they. If I could put it this way, they are praying out and they are, quote-unquote, reminding God why he should answer a prayer. Which, by the way, is okay to do. All right? You, you don't tell God what to do, but you remind. Lord, you said in your word. And somebody with maturity knows how to pray. I can learn how to pray that way. I can learn from somebody else how to intercede for missionaries or for those who are being persecuted or struggling or ill or shut-ins or whatever. I can learn by listening to other brothers and sisters pray, and then I can apply that myself, and then I know how I can learn how to pray those ways. I'll give you a very practical example that hits home right here, and it just happened very recently about learning how to pray, and it's awesome. And I remind you that if you're missing out on the great things God is doing, that it's probably mostly in large part because you're not staying connected. A few weeks ago, we had service. And in that service, we stopped and we were just praying for each other. Do you remember that? Whoever was here, do you remember that? It was a great time, by the way. And we started praying for People are going around. We gathered around. People were praying out loud. And Miss Carrie McKeel, there she is again. I'm highlighting her again. She told me the other day, this blessed my heart because I love it. This is what it's all about. This is about learning and growing in prayer. You know what she said? She said, oh, it felt so good. I can't believe it. She says, I've never prayed out loud for somebody in front of other people. Didn't you say that? See? 
That's learning how to pray. You exercise. You just do it and you learn. How many years has she been here? You've been here for quite a while now at this church. Years. And now praying with other people and she's praying out loud in faith on behalf and for somebody in front of other people along with other brothers and sisters. She's learned how to do that. Amen. Guess what? I'm slow at growing and learning, too. I'm very slow at learning things. I mean, I can point out a lot. It seems like, boy, why haven't I grown in that area? But we grow. We slow. It's progressive. And no matter how slow it is, you keep doing it until all of a sudden it's coming out and you're praying for people and you never did. That's, that's, you learn how to pray, and that happens when we're together. You learn how to pray for one another, okay? So those are just a couple of thoughts that prayer is expected and prayer is learned. But I will give you four quick things, and they are. Four quick keys how we should approach prayer. If we're going to have effective prayers, there are four keys. I'm not suggesting there aren't others or things can't get kind of mixed in with this or you can add things to this, but I'll keep it simple. And I will give, I'll, I'll give it to you in the form of an acrostic. You know what an acrostic is? The first letter of my points will spell the word pray. You want to know how to approach prayer? And you, what your approach in prayer should be, there's four keys. And we learn it from Matthew 6 and 11 when Jesus said that we should pray in this way, right? He said that he taught. But when we're devoting ourselves to prayer and we go to God and we're learning and growing in that because it's expected, this is what our approach is. First, letter P, position yourself properly. That is the starting point for our prayers. Position yourself properly. I don't mean bodily and physically and that, you know, you got to sit, you know, with your knees crossed or your hands up or your eyes closed or taking deep breaths. Or... No, I'm not talking about that or that you're, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. That could be helpful. You can do that. I'm not telling you what to do or not to do necessarily as far as your position. The position that matters is your heart, your attitude, and your perspective, where you, how you see yourself in relationship to God. Jesus says when he, t- when he taught the model prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven. He's in heaven, and you're not. So, position yourself properly. You had better humble yourself. Be humble. It doesn't mean you can't be confident. It doesn't mean that you can't have assurance. But be humble when you approach God. Position yourself in with humility. Because we're talking about the holy, and then we're looking at someone who sins. We're talking again about the heavenly versus the earthly. He's there, I'm not. The creator versus the creature. And we could keep going on with the comparisons and the differences. But you got to position yourself properly. And the way you do that is you humble yourself because God is in heaven and you're not. And hallowed is his name. That means his name is set apart. It's holy. There is no other. It's distinct. It is so sacred. It's, there is no one like him. There is no name like God's name. And on God our Father, and you better understand that. And be humble. Be humble. Be humble. B.M. Palmer said something. He said prayer about this, this about prayer. He said, and I love this, I'll repeat it. But he said prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. 
I'm going to say that again. The language of creaturely dependence is what prayer is. And you know what? If you come to God and you think you're all that, and you're not, again, dependent, but you don't have that humility, oh boy, oh boy, you're in trouble. Be dependent and recognize your need. We sang about that. We need Him, and, and, and we need Him to, to use us. Without Him, we can't do it. We cry out, that's our prayer for His kingdom. But we need you to touch us and to do a magnificent work in our lives to be effective vessels for Him and, and, and instruments for Him. Be dependent. Position yourself properly. Number two, letter R, review your motives. Review your motives. Why are, you, why are you praying for what you're praying and to what end? Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's model prayer. I'll just jump to the end because it's like a bookend when we talk about your motives. Jesus said in his prayer, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ten minutes while I take the rest. Forever. Forever. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let it be. That's what it is. Let it be that way. Amen. That's what he, how Jesus finished that model prayer. The question regarding your motives is, for whose glory are you praying? For whose glory? See, the sin of pride is so sneaky. And it's so subtle, but yet it's so destructive and strong. All you need is one little tiny microscopic drop, and it just ruins everything. It's so subtle. I won't, I'll stay on track. I won't go off and talk about some of the thoughts regarding that. But sin and that, the, the, the sin of pride is so sneaky. James chapter 4, verse 3, James says, You ask and you do not receive because you are asking with wrong motives. What is the wrong motive? He says, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Oh, there's that word again. Don't get me going. We're not devoted to God's glory, His kingdom, His ways, His, what He wants, what He desires, but we're devoted to everything that is the opposite or keeps us away from that. And so you ask for all these things. Oh, God, make me well. Heal me again. And you've been calling out to God while you've been sick for the past month or so or struggling with something or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden God knows, well, if I make you well, what are you going to do with that? You're going to go and you're going to run off and do your own thing. And you're going to stop fellowshipping again. And you're going to stop crying out to me. And you're going to just live your life as if not, I'm not even around. And then when you're in a jam, you call out to me again. And God's like, okay, come on, grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Review your motives, please. Because if there's anything selfish there, self-seeking or self-glorifying, you're on the wrong track. All the kingdom, all the power, all the glory belongs to God and God alone forever, not you. Number three, letter A. Your approach to prayer should be that you position yourself properly, you review your motives, and thirdly, that you ask for anything. Yes, anything. Is your child allowed to ask you anything? You may wish that they wouldn't ask you certain things, but is your child allowed to ask you anything? Yes, thank you. And so we should ask for anything. Now, here's the beautiful thing, and there's a reason why this is in the order that it is. Because 
we have God's will and his plans, right? And then we have our desires, the desires of our heart, the things that we want and the things we long for and, and what we feel we need or whatever it is. But if we, if we do, and if in our approach we start with number one and two, we can ask for anything and we will get it. Again, nobody believes that. I'm going to keep believing that. I am calling you out. This is the truth. If you position yourself properly, if you review your motives and they're right, you can ask for anything and you'll get it. I'm not talking about timing, but you will get what you asked for. Because if you're doing one and two, you will be in alignment with God's will. Plain and simple. Nothing else needs to be said. I can just move on but because it is that simple. But I will say that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, and I love this passage, and I hope you believe the words of Jesus. These are not my words. And he was direct and clear. You can't mince his words. You can try, but he says it, and when he says it, he means it. He says in verse 7 of chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Do you believe that? Again, considering the first two points. And the reason I say that is because in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus lays out some of the qualities and characteristics of the hard character traits of those who are his disciples or are kingdom citizens. And he lays those out, and there's a lot of great things in there that line up with the first two points here. And then now in verse 7 in chapter 7, he says, ask, and you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And he says, seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For, and he repeats it. When there's repetition, he really means it. For, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Those are not like, well, you know, do it, but maybe. They're emphatic. They're for sure. They're, they're guaranteed. If, you, if you're, you're asking, seeking, knocking, you will get a response. You will get a response from God there all the time. Listen, sometimes when, when, when our kids, or if your kids, I remember doing this with my parents, when you want to go ask, sometimes you come to your father or your mother, you're like, Mom, can I have, uh, you know, whatever, just gently, you come nicely and gently and you ask and whatever. They're like, Oh, yeah, sure, honey, no problem. You, you know, let's go work on that. Let's get that. And then it's, it is done, right? Then there's other times when you're asking it, and, and you're, if you're, you're, well, we'll think about it, whatever. And then you ask again. Then you ask again. Like, I want an Xbox. I want an Xbox. I want an Xbox. I want an Xbox. Then when the time is right, then you get one, right? So, so, so you, 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 but you ask more firmly. You get a little more loud. I mean, frankly, and I don't even mean volume, but intensity in your heart. You're asking, and it gets louder or more intense, and, and you're really asking God. You're pleading now. You're not just saying, can I please have God? No, God, I want, I need to have this. Please, I want it. Give it to me, God. Does God get mad at you for being childish? No, because we are our children, and sometimes we regress back to things that we used to be like because we're impatient and we want something desperately or we feel we need it, and it's okay. The same thing happens with the seeking, right? I mean, if you're, if you're seeking something from God, and it's a parallel to things we seek in life, if you're seeking for a dime you lost in your house, you're probably going to be like, eh, if I come across it, I got it. If I don't, you know, I'm just making that up. But if you lost your keys, oh, you're going to go out of your way, you will pick everything up, you will turn everything upside down, and you will look for that key for your car or your house, Right? 
It's a different intensity, and it gets louder and more frantic and whatever. And sometimes that happens with God, too. And I, why do I say all this? Because the same is true with the knocking. Sometimes you just go, God, are you there? He said, oh, yeah, I'm here. How you doing, son? How you doing, daughter? And sometimes you're like, God, are you there? Look at my life. What's going on? And then in time, all of a sudden, he does open it up. He will, because you knock and he will. He is wanting you to persevere, to be devoted to that perseverance, and he will answer He will respond to you. Sometimes it's forcefully and loudly, but God will answer. Jesus said in John chapter 14, before we get to our last point, in John chapter 14 and verse 13, Jesus said these words. He said, And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There's that word again. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Oh, there's that submission and understanding your place with God and your relationship with God, who he is and who, who you are. You're a child. He's, he's, he's daddy. He's Abba. He's the boss. He's master. He's Lord. And you're there for him and to serve him and to love him and do what he asks you to do. But ask for anything, no matter how small it is, how great it is, how grave things seem, or, or how dust. Ask God for anything. Lastly, letter Y. So position yourself properly. Review your motives. Ask for anything. And then your last and final approach to prayer should simply be this. Yield to God. Yield to God. Remember, you are not, in a sense, really, you're not here. And God isn't expecting you to tell him what to do. We don't do that. I mean, you can, oh yeah, we are telling God. We're asking, we're, we're, we're pleading, we're begging, if you will, even in some cases. But we're not telling, you can't tell God to do anything. It's not how it works. He's God, you're not. You can't, you can't have that attitude, because if you have that attitude, then number one is your position way in the wrong place. And the way that you yield to God is found in a simple three-letter acrostic. Say yes, Y-E-S. And literally, for why, say yes to God's control. If you're going to yield to God, simply say, yes, God, you're in control. I submit to your control. Yes, you are in charge. I know I prayed that. You know what I want. You know what your will is. You know all things. But I want that. But you know what? I'm saying yes to your control. I can't understand everything that's happening around me. I don't even know why it's happening. But you're in control, and I say yes to that. You are in control. I'm not. Yes. In Acts chapter 13, you find the account of the first church. And they're in Antioch, the city of Antioch. And the, the church is gathered. And then there's, there, there's prayer, there's conversation, there's fellowship, but there's prayer going on. And they're trying to see what the Lord wants to do. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to them as they're having communication with God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking. They're talking to God. They're praying. And then the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart. Who did he set apart? Silas and Paul, right? To be missionaries. And it was the start of what we know in the New Testament of what missions work looked like and missionaries that were being sent out. And that was the first place where missions and missionaries were sent out in the the book of Acts chapter 13. And it happened because there was prayer and there was this yielding to God. And when the Holy Spirit said, they could have said, whoa, wait a minute. The church is being persecuted. It's rough sledding out there. 
If they find out we're messengers and representatives of the gospel and of Jesus Christ, we're putting our life on the line. They didn't hesitate. They yielded. They said, okay, we're going to set you apart. They prayed for them and they sent them out. They went. They yielded to God. They didn't know what the steps would be, even though they prayed. They're praying for the church and protection. And God still says, but set these guys apart. And they said, yes. Secondly, expect that he will answer. It kind of all goes together. But when you say yes, expect that he will answer. Psalm 65 verse 2 says this. And in the New American Standard, we don't talk this way anymore, but it says, O thou who dost hear prayer. Let me paraphrase for you. You're the God who hears prayer. You're the God who hears prayer. And the psalmist says that. And even further, in Psalm 86, and I encourage you in the first seven verses to read it because it's really encouraging. But in seven, the second part of verse 7, the psalmist says, For you will answer me. You're the one who hears my prayer in Psalm 65. And then in Psalm 86, he says, For you will answer me. I don't know when, but you will answer me. So expect that God will answer just like you expect an answer from your parents when you ask them for something. And lastly, the way to yield to God is to surrender your plans to his. It goes along with saying yes to God's control, but it's a little different because we say things like, I want to do this, I think we should do this, I'm feeling this, I'm drawn to that, I have a desire for this, and I feel like it's good, it's for God's glory and whatnot. But listen, you surrender your plans to Him, you give them up to Him. You know why? Because Proverbs 16.3 says this, and it's reiterated throughout the Proverbs and the Psalms in different language, but it says this, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. You can have a plan, and you know what? It might be good and aligned with God, and if it is, he'll establish it. That means he will set it in place and in motion. And if it's not, he will still establish that because he'll tweak it and say, nope, not this way, this way. Now let's put it right here and let's make it solid. He's establishing your ways, your plans. God will do it when you commit to him, when you yield to him, when you give up your plans and your desires, and you simply say, God, whatever you want. Amen? Look, in order for us to grow, we must read the Word of God. Absolutely incredible. And so important for us to, 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 to have that intake every day, regularly. But we've also got to pray and talk to God. And look, the Apostle Paul, as I said, he said, devote yourselves to prayer. It bears repeating, and that's why I'm doing that. Devote yourselves to prayer. And if you're going to grow Position yourself properly, review your motives, expect that God will hear and answer you, and then yield to God. Amen? Look, we're going to meet tonight at 6.30. And we need to come and have this approach in our prayers tonight. Amen? Let's pray as we close. Lord, I thank you for giving us this time and reminding us in your word about how much You want us to pray so that we can know you as we know your word. We can know you and know you more deeply, know you more clearly and understand your will for our lives and that we can be changed by your spirit as we interact in our communication with you. And I pray that we would learn as well with one another, God, how we ought to be more like you as we learn from seasoned and mature brothers and sisters, but also from those who are fresh in the faith because of their enthusiasm and their 
Lord, just their ability to ask for whatever, whenever. We love that, Lord. And so do you. So God, I pray that we would learn and we would grow and we would become more like you as we exercise this critical discipline in our spiritual lives of prayer. Holy Spirit, help us, guide us, teach us, and I pray that as we come back tonight that you would fill this place, fill our hearts, fill our minds with truth and with your presence, Lord God, that we might pray your will and become more like your son Jesus so that you can be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.